So today's daf is Samachay in Eruvin. We left off yesterday the bottom of Samach Talit Amud Bet. Last line. Amar Rav Sheshet, Mishum Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria. A little bit more divrei uh, agada here. Um, a little lighter content before we get back into the meat and the potatoes of the halachot. And we turn to Amud Aleph of Samachay. Yachol ani leftorat kol haolam kulo menadin. I could, uh, this is what Rav Sheshet said in the name of Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria. I, I have the ability to, uh, to exempt the entire world from the din, from the judgment of Hashem. She says, I can, I can argue something that, uh, that I could argue something that everybody would be exempt from the judgment. Um, meaning that I could defend them in a way that they wouldn't be punished. Why? From the time the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed until now, as it says, Listen to this, poor one who is drunk and not from wine, meaning the Jewish people are treated like, as if they're drunk. The idea is that the sins that they do, it's like as if they are drunk, so therefore they shouldn't be liable for the, for, for the sins that they uh, commit because they're, uh, they're not fully cognizant of what they're doing. And therefore, I could exempt them from all of the, the judgment of Hashem. That's what Rav Sheshet said in the name of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. But maybe there is an objection. She called Mikromeka, Mikromimkar, Avar Bashesh Bamitam Mitinoto, Malkot Malkinoto. That's not really true. Uh, what Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah said is not really true because actually the halacha is that if a person is drunk and they, can tr- they, make a, they make a purchase, the purchase is valid. They make a sale, the sale is valid. They do a sin that has chiyuv mitah, and they, and they are uh, warned by uh, witnesses, uh, they're, they're liable. Mal, uh, if, they, if, if there's a malkot involved, a whipping involved, they, they get malkot. So the idea is, person can't just uh, claim uh, drunkenness all the time. Right? They can't just say, I was under the influence. And therefore, I'm not liable for my actions. A person's responsible for his actions, even if he's drunk. So how could how could Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah say that if I were to argue, I could argue to Hashem that we are all like drunk people. We are not fully cognizant of what we're doing. Is that that's what he's saying? Meaning that in the galut, we're not really we don't really know what we're doing, and we're, we're like drunkards, and therefore you can't really hold us liable for our actions. So he says in the same way. So he says ela shepatur The only thing about a drunk person. That makes him different than a regular person is that he's exempt from tefillah. Everything else he's liable for. But if a person is, is inebriated, he's not, allowed to, he's not allowed to pray. So it says, <laughs> <laughs> huh? Drunk. 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 Yeah. 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 That's a technical term. You know, using fancy words. Against yeah. his will, is he still responsible? It, uh, Maybe not. Maybe it's not news. But in that case, it's a good question. But um, it dep- the, the point is that, as the Gemara is about to say, there are different levels of drunkenness. A person can be a little bit tipsy, but they know what's going on. You can't, they can't be a little bit tipsy, go into a store, buy something, and say, I was drunk. I, uh, I want to return it. They, it's not, um, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's a difference between that and being like seriously, seriously drunk. Um, and out of it. But it, So it says like, What he meant was that not that I can exempt them from their responsibility for every action that they do, because that's not true. It's not true that, uh, that just being drunk would exempt you from responsibility for all of your actions. Rather, what is it talking about? It's talking about tefillah. He meant that the fact that the Jewish people are lazy about tefillah. Rashi says, Im danin otana If the judgment was because they weren't praying, okay, so there I could say that uh, they, they have an excuse because they're too distracted and, like, you know, they're, they're not with it. Drunk right, exactly. That's what he's saying. He's saying that that would be the argument. <coughs> they weren't able to pray. <laughs> this is all true, meaning this whole that we just read, that the person who is drunk, 
but they uh, they contract a sale or they, uh, they they purchase something or they sell or they whatever they do, it's valid. That's only That's only talking about where the person is not on the level of that he literally doesn't know what's going on. Lot was so drunk that he didn't know who his daughters were. What he was saying. That, that's a different level, right? So it says. But if a person is really that drunk that they're completely out of it, they don't know what they're doing, so then obviously anything that they do in that state is not going to be uh, a liability for them because you can't really hold them responsible for that. Now, as you said, you could, you could say, well, you know, it's their fault, let's say, that they reached that level of drunkenness, but maybe it was by accident. Maybe they didn't realize how much they were drinking or they didn't realize what was in the drink. They didn't realize how strong it was. Maybe somebody else gave it to them. We don't know. But, uh, but the point is that whatever they do when they're in that state where they are totally, you know, unaware of what's going on, like the level of Lot not knowing who his daughters were, <coughs> that you can't really hold the person responsible for. And if somebody warned you, oh, it's Shabbat, don't uh, cook that egg or whatever. You don't even know what's going on. You're, you, know, you, you don't know what you're doing. So, uh, so you can't be held responsible for that. That's the Sheikh Wuto Is that okay? at that point? It's not even. It's not even Shogeg. Shogeg is a person who knows what they're doing. No, it's anus, really. It's a person who's doing something that has no control over themselves. Literally, anus means no control. That's what it means. Shogeg means I made a mistake. A mistake really... You have to be aware of what you're doing to make a mistake, actually. You know, it's, it, like what the halacha recognizes as a mistake is pretty high level. The person just forgot. They, they knew the halachot of Shabbat, but they forgot it was Shabbat. <laughs> or they forgot, it, they forgot one of the halachot, but they knew it was Shabbat. That's a pretty high level of... But they consciously chose to do the action. They just made a mistake. That, that's a totally different thing than uh, drunkenness where you don't even know what you're doing. And the next day someone says, I can't believe what you said when you were drunk. What? I don't even remember saying that. I don't remember doing it. Like right, almost, yeah. But there are different levels. A person could have a little bit of a drink and they're l- loosened up a little bit, but they're not like totally out of their mind. Then there are other people that are out of their mind. Right, we know. Now, I'm a, who's married to a Kohen and is in this, in this state. It would be Anus. That would be a different story. Because be anus. I mean, the, 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 the facts are the facts. In that case, even... even in that case, even Anus is, is, is held <coughs> responsible, so you can't... It's not a matter of responsibility. It's a matter of the... That's why. Meaning, in that case, it, in that case it's not a matter of responsibility. She's not responsible for what she did if she's an Anusa. She's not responsible. It's just the fact that she had the relations with that guy makes her Psula la Kohen. It doesn't matter. It's like saying, I didn't purposely make my Etrog Pasul. It doesn't matter. It's Pasul. No, so it's, it's, there's certain things that doesn't matter, the responsibility. Rabbi Khanna says, It's a funny way of saying it. Anybody who, get, who gets rid of the Magen, okay, um, who takes out, she says, Meaning he doesn't say the Tfilah of Magen Avraham, he doesn't pray. Okay, at the time of arrogance, meaning she says, meaning he does the right thing. He's drunk. He knows he's a little bit inebriated. Again, he knows he's a little bit under the influence. So he says, you know what? I'm not going to pray now. So he says, that's right. That's right. Well, that's, but they're interpreting Magen here as referring to the Tefillah. They close off any kinds of trouble from before him. As it says in the Pasuk, it's a Pasuk in Eov that's a little, in and of itself very vague what it means. But taking out the Magen means taking out the Tefillah because he is Gava, because he's in a state of... You could say drunkenness is like a kind of self, self, self-absorbed state because the person doesn't know what's going on and they're like blabbing on and saying crazy things and everyone else around them is like, you know, 
watching them. They're kind of in their own world, right? So then it says that that closes off. The pasuk says, "Sagur chotamtar closes off the troubles." In other words, he's praising the person who uh, realizes he's not on a level where he can pray, and therefore he doesn't pray. That's actually a, responsi- a responsible person, like a person that you would say, oh, I drank something, I can't drive. Somebody else should drive because I drank something. That's a responsible person, actually. That's good, right? So he says, that's good. How do you know that the word afik means to pass over or to abstain? Because it says, and again, this is from Eov. It says that my brothers, he said, Eov is talking about how his friends are not really very good friends. If you read the book, you know, with friends like that, who needs enemies? You know, they're all telling him how bad he is. That's what they, they're all telling him how it's your fault and obviously you're not a tzaddik and all that. He says, my, they, they've rebelled, they've like uh, been treacherous towards me. They've been disloyal. And he says, like a, like a river, they just go with whatever way, whatever direction uh, where they want to go. Yeah, they go with the blow. They pass like the, uh, like like they're coming out of the streams. So it's the same idea. In other words, it means to pass. To, to, so a person who passes on tefillah because, they're saying that the word afik can mean to pass. He passes on the tefillah because he knows that he's not ready. That actually there's another way of uh, interpreting it, which is anybody who doesn't, Mefik, but here he's, he's, they're actually saying the same thing. He's just saying mefik means to, um, it's saying that, it's saying the same thing. He's just using the language differently. He's saying anybody who doesn't pray when he's drunk, but he used the word mefik not to mean to, to not say tefillah, but meaning that the, per, the word, that he doesn't say the tefillah. Mefik meaning something, meaning saying the prayer is mefik, because to, to express uh, to, to expose, meaning to say the tefillah, and he doesn't do it. They're, they're saying the same thing, they're just using different language. Okay, Because it talks about the places where the water emerges from the earth are, are shown, and the foundations of the earth are shown. Okay, so it means that it's, it, it's expressing, it's showing. So the fact that he doesn't show the tefillah is, is positive. But So they're using the same thing. One is just using the word afik to mean to skip the prayer. Another one is saying lo afik, he didn't say the prayer. But it's really the same thing. Okay? No, he, so, so, it's a, so he interprets the psukim differently, the word, the afik differently. Right, so we have psukim to go either way. So my benai, what's the difference between them? The, 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 the only difference between Rabbi Yochanan here and Rabbi Yochanan, because it sounds like they're saying the same thing, like don't, don't pray when you're drunk, and it's very meritorious to say I'm not on the level to be able to pray and to pass on the praying. So I said, what's the difference between them then? So he says, it, since that's the case... Um, the, the, so what's the difference between them? Rav Sheshet, Rav Sheshet, Masar Sheinat because Rav Sheshet would pass would pass his sleep on to his servant. Meaning, if he had to, he was he had drunk a little wine, he would say, you know, I, I'm going to take a nap before I pray. Wake me up uh, for the tefillah later. I want to get the wine off of me, and uh, and and he, and he would go. And it says more it later of Sheshet, more let later of Sheshet. One holds like Rav Sheshet, and one does not. Meaning to say that. Um, that Rabbi Chanina would say that uh, don't have him wake, meaning that, uh, that it, it's not right to have somebody wake you up. You have to wait until, the, the, until you wake up on your own. She says that, that Rav Sheshit would say, wake me up. And Rabbi Chanina, that according to Rabbi Chanina, it's meritorious to pass on saying the prayer. 
So he would say, let le Rav Sheshit. He doesn't know that Rav Sheshit. Vasur let palel ad she'omelav. He's only allowed to pray if he wakes up on his own. In other words, according to, according to Rabbi Chanina, the idea of uh, uh, not saying the prayer is that you wait until such time as you're ready. Not that you have somebody wake you up. Rabbi Yochanan is saying that, is, that is, as long as the guy wakes you up, it's okay as long as you went and took a nap and you tried to, uh, you tried to have the wine, uh, d- sort of uh, the effects of the wine dissipate. That's okay. But according to Rabbi Chanina, you actually have to wait until naturally you're ready. You can't have somebody wake you up from the nap even. Okay, that would be the difference between that. A person who doesn't have a settled mind shouldn't pray Mishum Shinemar. As it says, The interesting thing is, is not a Pasuk anymore, anywhere. And Rashi says it could be in the book of Ben Sirah. Ben Sirah was a book of the second Beit HaMikdash times that was like a book, it was kind of like written like Mishlei, but it's not considered part of the Tanakh. It was written by a guy named Ben Sirah. And there's, uh, you know, a lot of times that the Gemara will quote it, just like maybe a rabbi today will quote, I don't know, some literature or some uh, Bialik or something. You know, he doesn't quote quote it as, uh, as or, or Shakespeare or who, what, depending on the culture you know they'll quote like uh, some literature but it's not a uh, it's not a Tanakh book it was just a it says when you're in trouble but you shouldn't instruct or you shouldn't engage in tefillah when you are Batsar, when you're not in a proper state of mind. It says, Tehillim says, El Hashem betsarata li karate v'yaneni. Okay. So he's paraphrasing maybe. Could be. Yeah, Rashi says it could be in Ben Sirah. Rashi didn't say that. Rashi says it. Huh? לבדינה on a day that the wind was blowing from uh, the south, the south, southern wind was blowing. It's very strong and disturbing. He wouldn't go to the bed then because he said he didn't have the right state of mind to be able to judge. requires a day like it uh, the, with the northern wind, which is a very beautiful day. That's uh, when it's you know sunny and and a light breeze coming. It needs a perfect environment to be able to learn. If my mother even sent me on an errand to get some dip, you know, they would get this kutach was like a, it was like a dip for the chips like they have today. Like those, the dip. <laughs> he said, I couldn't study that day because I was too distracted by the errand. If I got bit by a louse, like a, by a bug bit me, I wouldn't be able to study that day. So the mother of uh, made him seven different uh, outfits for seven different days so he would never have any licensed clothing. He would never have to miss a day. Rabbi Yehuda said, you know, the night was only created for sleeping. Don't uh, stay up so late at night. It's made for sleeping. Actually, the moon was created so that you could learn. Because uh, back then, you know, a lot of people, they didn't have lights. There are a lot of famous stories about rabbis that were very poor and they didn't have enough uh, oil to put in a lamp so they would go stand by the light of the moon and they would learn, right? <laughs> they said to Rabbi Zerah, they said, you know, your teachings are very sharp. That's because I learned during the day so I have the clearest 
learning. So he, he's, there's actually a very interesting from Harav Masas, uh, 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 a letter that he wrote, Rabbi Yosef Masas from Morocco, he wrote a, uh, where he talks about all these different agadot. Is the night for learning? Is the night for sleeping? What should you do? And he has a whole uh, interesting discussion about how to reconcile these different ideas of the, uh, on one hand, it's important to get a good night's sleep and for health and all that. And on the other hand, that, you know, night is an opportunity to learn. And how do you, uh, how do you reconcile them? Interesting uh, discussions about it. The daughter of Ochizda said to Ochizda, don't you want to sleep a little bit? His daughter said, saw that he was staying up very late. And uh, she said, don't, don't, don't you want to take uh, some rest? Amalai said to her, He said, listen, there are days that are coming that are uh, very long, Right? Uh, he says, uh, She says, They're long and they're short, meaning they're long for sleeping, meaning death. When I die, I have a long time to sleep, and it's very little that I can do Torah and Mitzvot. They're, it says that they're long and they're small, meaning what they're. Do, exactly not. Right? I'll sleep plenty then, I don't have to sleep now. It says, some people say that in English too, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know. That's what they say. They, may, they got it from this. We are day laborers, meaning our main work of learning to us during the day. Rabbi Chaba Yaakov would, would borrow and pay back. Now Rashi says what it means, even though it's not so clear in the Gemara itself, what Rashi <coughs> says that means is that um, he would make a, uh, a, a fixed amount that he was going to learn for that day, and if he didn't make it that day, he would finish it at night, meaning he would, his main learning would be during the day, but if he, uh, he was busy working, he wouldn't be able to finish it, so he'd finish it at night. If a person comes in from the road, and the Rambam actually codifies this in Mishneh Torah, says if a person comes in from a long tra- trip, he, sh- he can't pray for three days. Now we're talking about a trip that exhausts you. We're not talking about the guy drove down the block to the uh, Everfresh, he drove back. We're talking about somebody who's on a journey. You know, he came in. So three days. Should say, I think not. So it says, it's talking about Ezra brought the people, he gathered them, and they came by the river, and they camped there three days, and then I took note of the people, meaning Ezra, this is where Ezra realizes, actually, that no Levi'im came, or very few, came uh, for the second Beit HaMikdash uh, revival. Kohanim came, uh, but Levi'im were missing, there were no, no Levi'im there that showed up. And so he, uh, he made certain uh, penalties on the Levi'im at that time. But the point was that he, uh, it took him three days to realize what was going on, meaning you know, once you settle from a trip, it takes you three days to have your mind settled to be able to see what's going on. And that's where they learned that from. Why are you living that well, you, can, you can look and learn Israel to find out more about that. Abu the Shmuel, the father of Shmuel says, When, when uh, the father of Shmuel would come from the trip, he didn't pray for three days, right? Not because he was drinking the beer, but he, uh, if he wouldn't pray in a house that had beer because the smell was bad, I, th- that's what they say. Not because he uh, wanted to drink the beer instead of praying or because he became drunk. It means because the smell disturbed him. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It would, it would disturb or, or just bother him. Yeah. It, either it made him uh, a little bit dizzy, like uh, the smell was strong. Or dipsy. Yeah. Or, or yeah. was like the, the fish, that, the fish hash that they used to make, and it had a very strong smell. It would be like if they had herring in the room. I wouldn't be able to pray either. It smells very bad. 
uh, to me. Anybody who is um, who is uh, placated, who is like mitpate uh, is like um, <coughs> meaning that he is able to get over whatever was bothering him because from wine. So uh, he has like a uh, some of the uh, quality of Hashem. Okay, so as she says, he might have had some issues with you, but if he has a drink, everything is forgiven, right? That's, that, 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 that's considered good quality because he can get over it. You know, once he relaxes a little bit, he lets go of what I was bothering him. He's good. Says he's like Hashem. Why? Because that's talking about after the Mabul, that Hashem, so to speak, smells the fragrance of Noach's Korban and says, you know what, I'm not going to destroy the world anymore. Because there was wine in it, so it's such a. Uh, yeah, well, Rashi says, because. <laughs> he says that smelling is similar to drinking. Okay, we always say because it's, uh, they're, they're compared to each other. And so, therefore, uh, and, and so in the same way, just like Hashem, because of that small. Uh, uh, small thing, small uh, measure was able to forgive the, the humanity. So, so too, if a person drinks a little bit and they are able to be forgiving, it's not a bad thing. Maybe it means that a person is at peace with a small amount. That's what it means. Well, sit down and drink too much. No. So, in other words, no, it's it's not a the person bit. holding his liquor. Right. So, just takes a little bit and he a little. Gets a Once he relaxes, he's able to let I'm it go. He says that uh, anybody. Who is uh, who, who is settled? Hamit Yashev says Shishotei and Vein Datom Mitzarafto, meaning he doesn't become drunk. He's able to hold his liquor pretty well. Okay, that person says he has in him the 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 wisdom or the the mentality of Ein Zekinim of the uh, the seventy elders, right? Meaning the seventy elders of Sanhedrin. Yain itan ba'ein otiot ve'sod itan ba'ein otiot. Wine is given Gematria. with seventy, yeah, because the gematria of Yain is seventy. Yud is ten. Yud is ten. Nun is fifty. So that's 70. And so this Nitan Ba'inotel, this very famous thing, right? Do you want it? Do you want to do it? Yeah, because you keep like getting ahead of me one line. Yeah. So it says, I, so wine is 70 and so is 70. What does that show you? So Nichnaz Yayin, it says so. If, if wine goes in, then the secret will come out. That's a famous saying, right? But on the other hand, what's the point? If the person doesn't, or she says, this is, the, this is the thing that the Gemara doesn't say. <coughs> Since he didn't let his secret come out, meaning he doesn't allow the wine, saying a person who doesn't let the wine mess up his, uh, uh, mess up his mind. So that person it doesn't reveal any secret. That's like being on the level of the Sanhedrin, meaning you know, even when you have a little bit of uh, wine and you, you don't let the secret out, that's even better. Right, that shows that you have control. I'm Rabbi Chanina. Chanin. Rabbi Chanin said, "Lo Wine was only created either to comfort the uh, the the mourners or to pay reward to the wicked people. Meaning, Hashem wants to give them everything for all the good that they did. Give them wine in this world to have a good time, and then in the next world they already don't have anything left uh, for them. But uh, but also to help the avilim. This is a pasuk, very famous pasuk in Mishlei. Give wine le oved to the person who is lost, to the person who is uh, you know who is mourning. and give wine to the bitter of soul. So give the uh, so the uh, it's saying that there are two functions of wine. One is to help a person deal with troubles in their life, and I guess that's telling you that it's like a kind of medication. You know, like uh, we wouldn't say a person takes medication is bad. 
Uh, obviously, if a person becomes alcoholic, that would be bad. But it's not saying that a, it, we don't necessarily see it as being a terrible thing. A person has a little bit of wine to feel a little bit better, as long as they don't go to an extreme. Because you see, it says the You know, you should give uh, They should give it to them. In fact, they said that there were asarakosot bebeta avel. We used to give ten uh, ten cups of wine in the uh, house of the avel that they would drink, and that was how they would uh, deal with the problem. It's like you know, today if somebody takes uh, I don't know Valium or whatever kinds of medicine people take today, whatever the common drugs are, we don't criticize them. You know, that's what they had. They had uh, some, it was like a medication. It now, anyway, do do Rabbi. Rabbi. yeah, here they're saying, here they're saying a, 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 a pshat that is further than the, than the simple pshat because they're saying that it's referring to the rasha and the avil, not, not, just the, not just the avil. In the pshat, it means the person who is like upset. Give them a little bit of wine, help them get over their problem. Right? So, anybody who doesn't spill wine in their house, like water, that's why a lot of people, they spill the wine of the Havdalah, they spill the wine of the, you know, they spill a little bit, and it says that they don't have the Bacha because they don't spill it like water. Right? The Pasuk says, Hashem is going to bless your bread and your water. In other words, it calls, it says, Hashem is going to bless your bread and your water, but it doesn't really mean your water. It means something which is a liquid which can be bought with the money of Maser. When you, go, when you take Maser Shenit Yerushalayim, you have to buy food or drink. You can't buy water. It has to be food or drink. You could buy wine because that's considered a fruit. Right, so when you bring that money to Yerushalayim to buy things with your uh, Maser Sheni, you could buy bread or you could buy wine. But it calls it water. It says why? Because it's saying a water that is bought with the money of Maser, just like the bread could be bought with the money of Maser. And what is that? It's really wine, but it's calling it it's calling it water because it's trying to say that the person treats it like water because it's not something that they're so, you know, they have so much that they don't have to worry if it spills a little bit. If it spills in his house, that shows that he has the blessing, right? And if not, then no. Right? Very, another very, very famous statement of the rabbis. There are three things through which you can know the nature of a person. Because so... Through his cup, meaning when the guy drinks a little bit, right? How he responds to being drunk. You can see the true nature of the person. How he spends his money, okay? If he does it honestly and, he, you know, and, and generous, or, you know, generously, honestly, and so on. When he gets angry, that if a person is, is, has a lot of temper. So Rashi says it in the positive here. He says, you know, He's not very particular and he's easygoing, right? So he doesn't get angry very often. But it, the opposite way is true too. A person who gets drunk and then like all the worst things come out, right? No, you know, that's, that's, that's you know, angry? is, well, he says, he's, is good. Kaso, when he gets, if a person gets angry, so it's interesting because Rashi's interpreting it as whether he gets angry or not. Most right. people interpret this as meaning when he's angry, you see what he really thinks because then he starts saying all kinds of stuff that, you know, he wouldn't say before. You know, or when he's drunk, Rashi says, when he drinks, if he relaxes, that shows that he's okay. If he goes, it gets, if he's like Mel Gibson and he starts uh, cursing Jews, you know, <laughs> then you, uh, then you know that's the real nature of, a, of that person. But I think that became clear more than once. <laughs> also what he jokes about when he laughs, you know, the person's humor also tells you something, what they think is funny, also tells you something about the kind of person that they are. <laughs> yeah, this is, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's, Yes, it's 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 in many places. There's many. I've seen it in many places before. 
Yeah, yeah, it's that's the yeah the statement is quoted from Rabbi Eli, but it's, it's it appears in more than one place for sure. This means what he laughs about. Yeah, what well, he's laugh. joking around. Yeah, he's a, either it means that he's a, what makes him laugh, like he laughs at things that are inappropriate, or it means that he's you know he if he's a silly person, it tells you something about his uh, personality. You know, one way or another. I'm mm-hmm. Now we get back to a little bit of halacha here. You have a situation where you have a courtyard inside and a courtyard outside. We're back to courtyards again, but now it's a little simpler, right? You have an inner courtyard and an outer courtyard. The people who live in the inner courtyard have to go out through the outer courtyard to get to the Rishul Tarabi. So the question is, how does that affect them? So it's, so, and they have a non-Jew in the mix because there is a non-Jew in the, uh, in the inner courtyard as well. So Bama says, so, Rabbi, so the question is, these two guys, these two Jews can make an eruv between the two of them. That's no problem. The one in the inside, the one on the outside, since they share certain space because the one on the inside has to go out through the one on the outside. So they can make an eruv between them. But then they have the non-Jew that prohibits them because he has to be involved. You have to rent from him or do something to, uh, to enable you to uh, work around it. Right? So they said, so Rabbi said they, they can't. And also Rabbi Chia said you can't do an eruv like this because the non-Jew... Uh, will prevent the Eru from uh, having taking effect until the um, until the uh, the non Jew is uh, rented from right. Rashi says until they somehow get the non Jew to rent to them his place. So it says Yosef at the end of the shiur of Rav Sheshet Rav Sheshet according to whom did Rav say this teaching because mm-hmm. Rav was quoting what Rabbi and what Rabbi Chia said, but Rav, Rabbi and Rabbi Chia were from previous uh, generation. So I said, what, what, what was Rav's te- uh, uh, opinion? What, what opinion was Rav following? Rabbi Meir, it must be like Rabbi Meir. Now, why does he say like Rabbi Meir? Because the thing is that according to, um, you have a, a, a machalok that we already saw in the Mishnah at the beginning of the parak. if you need two Jews or just one Jew. In other words, if you have um, a non-Jew and a Jew living together in a courtyard, and there's just two families. There's the Jewish family and the non-Jewish family. So Rabbi Meir says you still need uh, to rent from the non-Jewish family something because the non-Jew will impinge upon your ability to carry in the chatzer. According to the other rabbis, no, until you have two Jewish families and the non-Jewish family, you don't have to worry because first you have to have an obligation of Eruvei Chatzerot between the Jewish families. And then you have to deal with the non-Jewish presence. And, and the reason why they didn't make a decree in the case where it's just one Jewish family and a non-Jewish family is they said it's very rare for just one non-Jewish family and one Jewish family to be living in one chatzir without any other Jews. Very rare. So they didn't make a decree in that case. But Rabbi Meir says they did. So he will not... So Karkish Rabbah Reshei Rabbah nodded his head. He said, that's right, that's right. That, that, must be, that must be it. It's going like Rabbi Meir. Now why does he think it's going like Rabbi Meir? What's the reason why he comes to that conclusion? Because he's saying that in the outer courtyard where you have that Jew and the non-Jew, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, in the inner courtyard where you have the Jew and the non-Jew, you need to uh, rent from him, right? Even though it's only one Jew in there. And Rebbe Meir is of the opinion that, uh, that you only need one uh, Jew to be there to require the rental, right? So, that's, so it must be Rebbe Meir. I'm Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef, did two great rabbis make such a basic mistake here? That can't be Rabbi Meir. Because if you're going with, if you're saying this teaching was according to Rabbi Meir, why do you need the second Jewish presence? Because remember, we're saying there's a Jew and a non-Jew in the inner courtyard and a Jew in the outer courtyard. 
According to Rabbi Meir, even without a Jew in the outer courtyard, you would need to rent from the non-Jew because he holds it even if one family, right? Even one Jewish family has to rent from the non-Jewish, right? So, so why would he have to bring in that the outer courtyard has a Jew? Maybe you'll say, well, that was just the way that it was. It wasn't really, that was just the story. In the story, there was a Jew living in the outer courtyard, but it wasn't actually directly relevant. Really, even without the Jew living in the outer courtyard, one Jewish family, one non-Jewish family, you have to rent. Right? From, you have to rent the shared space from the Naju. But that's not true either because they asked Rav directly. Because they asked Rav, that Jew and non-Jew who live in the inner courtyard, can they, can that Jewish family carry? Forget about the ones in the outer courtyard for a second. Can they? And he said, yes, it's allowed. Meaning in their own courtyard, he's allowed to carry, the Jew is allowed to carry the only problem is the outer courtyard. Why is the outer courtyard a problem? Because the inner courtyard has only one Jewish presence. There's one Jewish family living in the inner courtyard and there's one non-Jewish. The outer courtyard, the Jew in the outer courtyard has no connection to the inner courtyard. He never has to go in there. He never has to go in there. But the Jew living in the inner courtyard has to go out through the outer courtyard. So therefore, he, the outer courtyard has shlitash el shnei Yisraelim. It has, the, it has the, the control of two Jewish presences on it, because it has the control of the guy in the inner courtyard that uses it for what's called Regel. he has to go out, and also has the control of the guy who lives in there, okay? So, being that, so since that's the case, so it, that's the only case that it was an issue. So what do you see? Rav is holding that you need two Jewish people or families to be involved to require any kind of renting from the non-Jew. That was critical to the case. Okay, so now that you're saying, and, and the Jew who lives with the non-Jew in the inner courtyard, he doesn't need to do anything because he's only one Jew. So what do you see from this? You see that Rav holds like the other rabbis, that one Jewish family living with one non-Jewish family in a courtyard don't require anything. It's only when there's two Jewish presences that you require something. And that's going to be in the outer courtyard. Which means that we're going like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, not like Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is the one who says what? That... That the uh, that the um, uh, that that you need two. So he says, right? He Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says you need to have two Jews who are prohibiting each other in order to have a situation where you need to rent from the Jew from the non-Jew. And here you don't actually have two prohibiting each other because uh, she says that regular meaning that the person that inside that they don't prohibit each other according to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov if the Jewish guy and the non-Jew are in the inner courtyard and there's a Jewish guy in the outer courtyard or even without the non-Jew if there's a Jewish guy in the inner courtyard Jewish guy in the outer courtyard they don't prohibit each other because each one has their own domain they can make an eruv with each other but they wouldn't have to just from the fact that he's going to pass through there as she says since he's allowed to walk around in the inner courtyard, he's not going to cause the outer courtyard to become prohibited just because he has to pass through there, according to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. So that wouldn't be, we wouldn't go like that opinion. We wouldn't go like that opinion. Rather, so then, the really issue, the, it, we're really going according to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is of the opinion that if you have an inner courtyard and an outer courtyard, even though the guy in the inner courtyard doesn't really have to do anything to be able to carry in his area because he's the only show in town. He's the only Jew in there, let's say. He's the only person in there. Still, since he passes through the outer courtyard, that gives him a certain right, a certain zechut, 
in the outer courtyard, and therefore he actually will prohibit the guy in the outer courtyard from using his courtyard unless they make an eruv. That's according to Rabbi Akiva. So you have two issues at play here. One issue is, how many Jews do you need to be involved to require renting the shared space from the non-Jew? Rebbe Meir says even one Jewish family that, co- that co- lives together with a non-Jewish family in the courtyard has to rent. The other rabbis say no. The other issue is if you have an inner and an outer courtyard, does the, does the guy in the inner courtyard automatically, is he automatically considered like a part of the outer courtyard as well since he has to pass through there? Such that if he doesn't join with their eruv, he will mess it up for everyone? Or no, since his own domain is really separate, he doesn't automatically mess up the outer courtyard's life by not joining the eruv. That's a separate issue. Okay? Now we're saying we're going like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says yes on two things. He says, number one, without two Jewish families involved, you don't have to rent anything from the non-Jew. Number two, once you have a person in the inner courtyard who also passes through the outer courtyard, even though by himself in his own inner courtyard he would be okay because no other Jew has any, any involvement there, he's considered a member of the outer courtyard because he passes through, and therefore he's going to have to join in the era of the outer courtyard or he's going to mess it up. That's what we're saying now. So it says, according to that, Why does he have to mention that there was a non-Jew involved? What's the reason of getting the non-Jew involved in the picture here? Even the Jew would create the same problem. In other words, we, according to Rabbi Akiva, the case of the non-Jew's involvement here is basically superfluous because since you have uh, two Jews involved and they both share use of the outer courtyard, that means that, they, that the inner courtyard guy impacts the outer courtyard guy, right? And so there, then obviously it should be... Uh, uh, you know, it, th- th- there's already a requirement of, of Eruv here. So Rashi says, <laughs> He says, you already have the problem. Why do you have to bring the non-Jew into the picture? Even with just the two Jews, one in the inner courtyard, one in the outer courtyard, the inner courtyard guy messes up the outer courtyard guy because he shares that outer courtyard and c- because he uses it as passage. So why do you need the case of the non-Jew? So now he says, Let's go back to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. It fits according to both of them. We're talking about where they made an Eruv. That's the whole thing. I mean, it, that makes the most sense. In other words, we're talking about where they made an Eruv. The inner courtyard Jew and the outer courtyard Jew made an Eruv. Okay? That which they needed to, according to Rabbi Akiva especially. Because, according to Rabbi Akiva, the inner courtyard guy will mess up the outer courtyard guy's life if he doesn't join and the whole pro- the only problem that's left over is that you have the non-Jewish presence. And therefore you have to rent from the non-Jew because the non-Jew also is involved in both courtyards because he's in the inner courtyard. So he's also going to be passing through the outer courtyard. And so therefore his presence is going to be a prohibitive presence and it's going to mess up this Eruv. They won't be able to make the Eruv. Now, what can we say? It I mean, said because they then asked him, what about the guy in the inner courtyard as a separate question? So they see that it was just a, theore- a theoretical, that, that every detail of the case was, was necessary. Right, so they wouldn't have mentioned that, no, no, it wasn't a theoretical case, it was a real case, but they're saying they wouldn't have mentioned that detail uh-huh. if it wasn't re- relevant to the case. Uh-huh. Like, and the guy had a blue shirt. Well, <coughs> that wouldn't be relevant. It has, it has to be something that's relevant. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Elazar probably should be Rabbi Elazar has to have the following. 
Let's switch it around. Instead of saying the non-Jew was in the inner courtyard, which was obvious that he would have it, he uses both the inner and the outer courtyard because when he exits, he uses the outer courtyard. So he's, <laughs> right? So we know that. What about when they have flip it and the, and the non-Jew is in the outer courtyard? So the, the thing is like this. When the Jew and the non-Jew live together in the inner courtyard, we understand why we make a rule that you have to rent from the non-Jew. Because what was the general principle? The general principle was, we only make you rent from the non-Jew in a case where it's common for a Jew and a non-Jew to live together in the same neighborhood in that situation. And since here you have a Jew in the outer courtyard, a Jew in the inner courtyard, so the Jew goes in and out, the Jew in the inner courtyard goes in and out, and the non-Jew goes in and out. And therefore the non-Jew will not kill the Jew. Why not? Because, the Jew, because the, the Jew in the outer courtyard will come into the inner courtyard and say, what happened to that Jew who lived here? The non-Jew can't say he left because they say, well, if he left, how come I didn't see him go? So I got to look under all the floorboards and find out what you did with the body or whatever. You know, they're, they're going to assume that you killed him, right? That, so that's, that's the reason why the Jew will live with the non-Jew in that inner courtyard. But in the case where the non-Jew and the Jew live in the outer courtyard, we would say that's a very uncommon situation for a Jew to be alone, the only Jewish family with this non-Jewish family in the outer courtyard. Why? Because the non-Jew could kill him and then just say he left. And nobody would know. So maybe we would say in that case, since it's uncommon, we wouldn't require schirut. We only require the renting from the non-Jew when it's a common situation. Oh, Dilma, hachanami, mirtat, hashta, ate Or maybe we'll say that, no, he's afraid to kill the Jew even in that case. Because he's afraid that maybe the, other, the Jew who lives in the inner courtyard will just happen to be passing through the outer courtyard at the moment that he's sticking a knife into the back of the Jew or whatever. Right? And he's going to get caught. Interesting what kind of things they had to deal with back then. You know, that's what we're worried about. He said, give to the wise and he'll become wiser. Right? Meaning that, Rashi says, what did the answer mean? He said, just like over there, it's prohibited, it's prohibited here too. Meaning in both cases, since there is a reason to believe that a Jew might be willing to live with a non-Jew in that case because they have some security because there's the other Jew around, so whether it's in the inner or the outer courtyard, in both cases, we're going to require him to rent from the non-Jew, because we say it's possible that the Jew would settle in that case with the non-Jew. So we'll just do one more, um, one more part. So it says, One time, Reish Lakish and students of Rabbi Hanina came to a certain inn. The thing was that there was a, the non-Jew who lived in that courtyard, they wanted to rent from him, but the only thing was, he himself was a tenant, and he was away for Shabbat. And, but the landlord was there, but the tenant wasn't there. So the thing was, they said, can we go and do the formal symbolic rental from the landlord? Now, if he could not remove the tenant, so then he really doesn't have any power over that house anymore, and maybe he can't really be a representative, he can't really rent it. Obviously, he wouldn't be able to rent from it. But in a case where really he could remove the tenant, meaning if the landlord had the right to remove the tenant, so then we could say he still has power over the tenant. He still overrides the rights of the tenant in that courtyard and in that house, and therefore he could represent them and he could rent out his portion. My right, so it says my. What's the what's the Do we say on one hand, since the te- since the landlord has the right, the ability to uh, evict his tenant? And therefore, we'll say he has a certain overriding power. And therefore, if we rent from the landlord, we really could rent the rights of the tenant <coughs> through the landlord because the landlord supersedes the tenant. Or we could say that, no, since right now, 
practically speaking, the tenant has the legal right to live there and has the right to the courtyard. We can't rent from the, the guy. So Amar Lakish Lakish says, you know what? Let's go and rent from him anyway. And we get to the south and we get to the big rabbis. Nishalen will ask them whether we did the right thing. So Atu Shailud of Afes, they came in the answer of Afes. He said, you did the right thing. It was the right thing to rent from the guy because since that landlord has overriding uh, powers, uh, therefore he has really the, um, the right to, uh, uh, you know, he, he could supersede the tenant even though he hasn't done that yet. So we can rent from him. So it's, it's in, because you see that we're very lenient about this renting because we even allow someone who's like an employee, someone who doesn't really have much power also to represent the, uh, the interests of the owner. So, so too we can have the landlord, even though legally right now at this moment, maybe the landlord has not exercised his right to evict the tenant. So therefore he de- doesn't really have actual right at this moment, <coughs> but he has the potential right. And that's another reason why some people are lenient in hotels or Moshe Feinstein has a whole thing about in hotels about whether you need to make Eruvei uh, because as well since the owner of the hotel puts a mini bar in every single person's room and could kick a guest out if they wanted to and all that so it's all really kind of considered one reshut it's not really considered individual uh, individual reshuyot and therefore he had a leniency about, uh, about hotels it's an interesting discussion but most people they try to be careful if they're staying in a hotel where they know there's Jews and non-Jews to make a to rent you know from the doorman uh, portion of the uh, you know, uh, to do it that way, and the, or from the front desk or whatever, symbolically do the rental, and then make an erovei chatzor if they can. But if, yeah. if 